So, second to the last week, really summarizing uh, uh, in many ways, I think, the book of John and the text we're going we're gonna to look at today. So, a week ago, Julie and I celebrated the 46th anniversary of our first date. We were at a school in Minneapolis, kind of like Biola, and, and it, it was like prom, except it was a Christian school, so you couldn't dance. I learned to do that after I graduated. But Julie and I were friends. We, we were buddies. I just ended a relationship with another young lady, and, and uh, I, I wanted to go to this event, so I asked her as a friend and as a buddy. And we just had so much fun. Saw that night, what I still see in her, one of my essential criteria is she's sarcastic. And uh, 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 she's not here today, so I can share this without getting in too much trouble. But our second date and third date, she actually asked me out. But the thing was, we just had so much fun together, and I didn't see myself getting married out of college. Wasn't the worldview I had. And yet I just, I just fell in love. We spent time together. We got to know one another. It was crazy how I could make time to be with her because she was just something special, something like I had never dated before. And here's what I became convinced of. My life is going to be happier with her in it as my wife. So I proposed and we got married the summer of 1980. Now, we've had challenges like everybody. We've had to work through stuff, but I have never for a second wondered whether or not I'd be happier without her. It's never entered my mind. Now, I'm still trying to figure the woman out, quite frankly. We're still growing in our relationship with one another. But I've never wondered whether I'd be happier. And I got married that summer. She was the person who was most important to me. And I loved her more than anyone else. Now that fall, I started going to seminary, preparing to be a pastor, thought I loved Jesus, thought I was a Christian. This guy, Dr. John Selhammer, teaches me how to read the Bible, and for the first time in my life, though I'd been around church all my life, I start reading the Bible. And I get this picture of Jesus that I'd never had before. I mean, I'd heard the words. I'd been through the text at some point in my life. But I'm reading the Bible, and this picture of Jesus and his glory and his grace and his love just starts jumping off the page. Well, you know what ends up happening? I see the beauty and glory of Jesus. And in those first two years, I no longer love my wife as number one. She became number two. Because Jesus became number one. Now here's what I'll absolutely assure you. My wife in the number two position gets exponentially more love for me because Jesus is number one than she ever would have gotten it if I'd kept her number one. That's what Christianity is. You boil it down to the smallest foundation, the lowest level. Loving Jesus 
adoring Jesus, having affections for Jesus more than anyone or anything else is the Christian life. That's it. And it's the only way to a truly purposeful, peaceful, and joyful life. And that's what John has been writing about. We're pretty much going to finish the majority of the text of this gospel today, picking up from where we left off last week. Endings of books are very, very important. The guys are out fishing. They're catching nothing last week. Jesus says, throw it over to the other side of the boat. They catch fish. You guys keep fishing. God's going to put fish in your nets. You're going to be fishing for people now rather than fish. And the key is abiding with me. We're picking up the text as they're having and finishing up breakfast with Jesus from last week. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Jesus, uh, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Father, as we're finishing this book, inspired by you, that John has unmistakably told us it was written that we might believe. I pray, Father, for us, wherever we are in our journey with you, however much we believe, I pray that you would use these words spoken by Jesus, recorded by John, inspired by you, to encourage our faith. Help us trust you even more. I pray that as I speak, I pray that your spirit would move through me. But Father, we just want to see Jesus a little more clearly. His love, his grace, his forgiveness. That's our prayer, Father. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So I see five ideas that John's ending this book with. Again, the endings of books are very, very important. Five ideas that he has built in this whole gospel that now through this recounting of what happened in Jesus' interaction primarily with Peter, he wants to get in our heads and in our hearts. The first thing is that Jesus deserves our greatest love. It was Jesus when asked, how do you summarize the law in life? Remember what he, he, he said? He quoted Moses, who was quoting God. It's first recorded in Deuteronomy. This is what Jesus said. You want to summarize life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love God above everyone and everything else. Now, it feels like to me that verse, we all quote it, but it's kind of like one of those nice little cliches and, and, and readings we want to hang on our wall. But really mean it? Pretty sure God does. John's written his gospel. You remember how it started? God himself, the second person of the Trinity, came down into this world. This guy is spectacular. He runs around doing all these miracles and then he eventually goes to the cross and dies for us. Ah! Now if we get that, there is no one that we can love more than Jesus. It is the only reasonable, rational response of understanding what John has been conveying through this whole book. But he ends that he wants to make it clear. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Two basic ways it can be taken. And I'm going to tell you already, I'm not sure which way Jesus meant it, but it doesn't matter because the big idea either way is clear. Peter, do you love me more than you love these guys? One way. Second way. Peter, do you love me more than these guys love me. Either way, here's what Jesus is saying. Peter, <clears throat> do you love me most? I'm God Almighty, come to this earth, become a human being to redeem you. If you understand that, there is no one or nothing that you could possibly love more than me. He's the preeminent value. He's the preeminent person. God Almighty come to love us. Second idea that John wants us to see as we summarize this gospel. Jesus doesn't overlook our offenses. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to, him, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tell my sheep. And then he said to him the third time, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter knew exactly what Jesus was doing. He was taking him back to the night on which Jesus was betrayed. And Peter, of all the disciples, made some pretty bold proclamations. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. Lord, there's nothing that could happen, nothing that could happen that would keep me from following you. Will you lay your life down for me, Peter? You really willing to do that? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, for us who are really familiar with this story, if we don't keep thinking and processing it, I think we could miss the essence and the significance. This is a big stinking deal. Big stinking deal. He'd given up everything he knew to follow Jesus. He'd been with him three years. But when crunch time hit, he is there. I will be there for you, Lord. then he denies it. After having been warned that that's exactly what would happen. Peter was feeling like a betrayer. Peter was feeling like a coward. Peter was feeling like a failure. He didn't get the whole gospel thing fully, the death, resurrection, of course, until it after it happened. But he'd seen Jesus do some pretty spectacular things. He'd made some bold declarations. And then he messed up. Some of us, we got a past. And if you're here today, you're still thinking about whether or not you want to treasure Christ. Be clear of this, Jesus knows our offenses. The essence of sin is to not find our greatest joy in him. The essence of sin is to, to not realize that, that God loves us and where we find our greatest meaning and purpose in life is through relationship with him through Christ. And if you don't love Christ, be clear, he has kept track of the offenses. Now, my guess is most of us, we've chosen to treasure Christ. We've chosen to love Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm still amazed after 40 years of walking with Jesus where my head can go. And maybe you've come to treasure Christ and you're still sitting here with the mistakes you've made. People that you loved that you end up not treating them very lovingly. 
still being more interested in material things than somebody who loves Christ ought to be after these years of walking with him. The way we treat people, facing difficulties in life with more worry, with more anxiety than we would like to, if we trust Christ more, boy, we shouldn't be dealing and we can get to this place where we just start to beat ourselves up. What John wants us to see is when we fall short of manifesting faith as fully as we should, Jesus isn't overlooking it. He sees it. But to the third idea, my favorite of the five. Let me tell you, the big idea of the gospel. Then we're going to finish with a couple other ideas, but this is the biggie. Jesus forgives, commissions, and if need be, reestablishes us. When we come to faith, he forgives all the mistakes, everything that has ever happened, and we are justified, made legally right. And if you're still thinking about whether or not you want to come to Christ, I encourage you with the words that Jesus encouraged. Believe to Thomas. But for those of us who have believed, he sets us on this path where we're to help other people see the beauty and and, and glory of Jesus. That's what our life becomes. After we come to love him, he establishes us like he sent out the disciples. I'm sending you out as the Father sent me. But then sometimes we mess up after we believe and we can get paralyzed. Who, Who am I? to share about this stuff. Given where I still am on my spiritual journey, maybe I'm disqualified. When I started preaching, I wrestled with this. I'm called to proclaim things that I don't live as fully as I would like. That was really awkward for a while. I'm not living this as fully as I would like, and I'm supposed to tell these people to live this way? The answer to that question is yes, and I got over it. Here's how this looks. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times after Peter's denied him, Three times he's going to get Peter to say, I love you. It's beautiful. But then Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Peter and Jesus. I think for Peter it's a little awkward here after he's denied Jesus. Last week we looked. John said, hey, that's Jesus on the shore. And Peter put his clothes on. I don't know what sense that made. And jumped in and swam towards Jesus. But he's still wondering, do I still have the same call of Jesus? After I messed up, do I still get to go tell other people about Jesus' love? Feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him a second time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with some stuff. Who knows what it is? There's a bunch of stuff where I'm tempted. I'm assuming most of you are experiencing temptation like I am, and you're maybe feeling like you're disqualified. Jesus forgives. He calls us to go feed his sheep. What he means by that is whether they treasure Christ now or not, go live in a way that people see my glory and my love. Live your life. Every conversation, every action, everything you do is in the context of being a a sheep of mine. And once you become a sheep, here's your role, to help other sheep grow. Now implied in that is a sense of our being fed. I never listened to him. I stopped listening to him over 30 years ago. But when you get on a plane and they say, put your mask on first... It's very wise, because if you can't breathe, you're not going to be able to help others. Now, if you're wondering about that, go back to John 15. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Remember to see this gospel as a whole. In the text last week, they came and ate breakfast with Jesus. Communing with him is the key. But here's why we live. To love, enjoy, honor God With the purpose, with the power, with the joy, with the peace, that's it. And we live to help other people enjoy it. So if you got stuff you're wrestling with, keep wrestling with it. He forgives. And he's called us. Do not let anything prevent you from sharing Jesus' love with others. Nothing. This is a big deal given what Peter has just done. He's just denied him three times after he was warned he was going to. This is a major mess up. People do something far short of that. We talked as the staff this last week. You know, you start promoting things that I'm not being a big fan of, it will not go well. But this Jesus, we're hanging on to a grudge against somebody that hurt us, and it was a deep hurt. Go to Jesus. He's not thrilled, but he forgives. Whatever it be, this is our Lord. You've got to be kidding me. Read the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. This God forgives over and over and over. All he wants from us is for us to love him. Now, I said we're going to two less consequential ideas. This is where you'll be tempted to tune out. Here's my encouragement. 
How many of you at some point after you came to faith have felt like Peter, like you didn't quite live it out as well as you could? Okay. How good is Jesus? How good is Jesus? Two less significant ideas, but not insignificant. Jesus wants us to understand following him will often not be easy. I think it's interesting where, uh, where, where, where John leaves this. Especially when we come to faith, we're so excited about Jesus. Who could not want to enjoy Jesus? This is going to be a great life. We're going to be popular. We're going to be a celebrity. We start sharing this news. Again, it's fun talking to young pastors because it feels like they have these visions of building huge churches and thousands of people living on podcasts. And they're going to get wealthy. You know, there's a few TV preachers. I don't know. They have private jets and big mansions. Tell me, how great a life is this promoting Jesus? Don't miss where John ends this gospel. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you out where you do not want to go. Stretch out your hands. Figurative image for crucifixion. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now figuring out Peter's death exactly is hard, but most likely, both the evidence suggests, crucified and at his request, upside down. Because he didn't want to be seen identically as Jesus. He glorified Jesus in his life, and then he glorified Jesus in his death. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. It ain't going to always be easy. There's no greater joy. There's no peace like it. You're going to live with purpose, helping other people experience what you've experienced. And the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. There is nothing like it. But don't you ever presume that it's just going to always be easy. It's not what he's called us to. Joy, peace, purpose, power, yes. Easy life? Not so much. And here's the last one. Jesus has a plan for each of us still growing people. There's an impetuous nature to Peter. You gotta love this guy, right? Cuts off Malchus' ears, at Malchus' ear, and then not too long after that, he's denying Jesus. <laughs> Who is this guy? Uh, I would say he's a guy like a lot of us. He's just been reinstated. Go feed my sheep, Peter. Now I'm gonna warn you, you're gonna die a gruesome death. That's gonna be for my glory. As you demonstrate, even in your death, that you got something better ahead. You convey you trust me in this miserable death. Now where does Peter go with it? He's got another response 
which Jesus can forgive him for. <laughs> I love this. Tell me Jesus isn't good. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So Peter and Jesus have started walking on the beach from breakfast. John's following him. The one who had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and said, Lord, is it going to betray you? Because Peter asked him to. He's just testifying to the authenticity of these accounts. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? How about your beloved? Yeah, there are 11 of us. We always knew you had a little special bond with this guy. John's gone out of his way in his gospel to make that clear. So I'm going to die a miserable death. How about him? You going to treat us all equally? You going to treat us all fairly? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, until I return, what is that to you? Now, let me paraphrase Jesus' loving response to Peter when he asked if John's going to have the same tortuous death that he has. Peter, it's none of your stinking business. Peter, I got a plan for your life. I got a plan for John's life. Those two, for a good period of time here, have intersected. But Peter, this is about you and me. This is about the plan I have for your life. Don't be comparing yourself with other people. I look out this morning, I see some of you wrestling with extraordinarily painful issues. I'm sorry. I truly wish it weren't that way. But I think we can have that same tendency. Hmm. They just have so much success in their business. Can you see the car they can afford to drive, the house they live in? It's God being fair. On the other side, some of you have experienced, some of you right now are experiencing pain, the likes of which I don't believe I've ever faced. Sorry for that. The temptation can be, Lord, why me? Here's the reality. Christ has offered and given to all of us, those who trust him, this infinitely beautiful, valuable, and glorious gift. It's called eternal life. He gives us the joy that can be found nowhere else. He gives us the peace that can be found nowhere else. He gives us the purpose that can be found nowhere else. And he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to the circumstances of our life, God's got a plan for each of us in terms of the circumstances. Let me assure you, they're not identical. And yet, here's what he calls to all of us, and Jesus says to each of us, and this is a singular you, as he talks to Peter. It's none of your business what happens to John. Peter, 
you follow me. Because as we get to the end of this book, folks, nothing else would make sense. Everything else would be absurd. It'd be nuts. He's God Almighty coming to this earth, become one of us to redeem us. This is the best life. And he loves us and forgives us no matter where we are in this journey. So we wholeheartedly, joyfully, happily follow Jesus. We keep our eyes focused on him. There are so many beautiful, glorious things in this world that can take our attention. I watched a couple of basketball games this last week. They were fun. But for those of us who get who Jesus is, our primary focus is on Jesus. Even when we're watching a basketball game, when our focus is on Jesus, we're like, how good is it that we get to live in a place where on a big screen TV, we can watch LeBron James come back and win the game? How good is God that he allows us to live here? You think I'm kidding? I'm not. He created this stuff for our enjoyment, just never enjoying it more than him. So we keep our focus on him and then we feed on Jesus. If we're going to feed others, we got to have the mask on ourselves. Looking at his word, reading the gospel of John, hanging with other folks, coming Saturday. If you're a woman, to hang out with other women as we're talking about Jesus and one another. Then we live to not only feed on Jesus and experience that joy, but to help others experience that same thing. And everything we say and everything we do and when our words and our actions don't reflect that as well as we'd like, we go, Lord, forgive me. He forgives us. And then we just keep going Till we see him face to face. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the joy of the gospel. Thanks for making the beauty of your son so clearly seen. Ah, Father, there are so many things in this world that can challenge us, discourage us, frustrate us, tempt us to despair. But I pray that the glory of your son, the glory of Jesus, would outshine all the challenging things. Father, we're in a world that it feels like here in our country is holding less to the values that come with loving you. I pray that you wouldn't allow us to get frustrated, but that you would allow us to see even this as an opportunity to stand for you and to display your glory, your grace, and your love. Father, keep our eyes affixed on Jesus, who tells us, go feed my sheep, because I love you. 
All I want you to do is just follow me. Help us individually, Father, and I pray you'd help us collectively to follow you and to feed your sheep.